Father God, we thank you for our spiritual father of this community. Lord, we thank you for wisdom, insight, peace, love, and grace. Lord, we pray that your spirit would just flow through him. God, he would be inspired and that we would just be nourished, that our hearts would be nourished today and that we would receive the good things that you have for us. Strengthen him, Father, by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I will preach it, but before I do, I want uh, Karsten to share. Karsten, share about uh, what happened there last Sunday when a group of us went. Karsten is our point person. Speaking in front of people is my absolute nightmare, so I may or may not have a heart attack (laughs) (laughs) mid-talk. Okay. So on Sunday, a group of us went to Frogtown to the house of a couple named Shad and Stephanie who are looking to start a house church down there. And the Spirit really moved on our hearts. And there's a team of us that is going to be helping them start the church. And alongside of that, we're also pairing with John Tolo's ministry to do a lot of outreach in Frogtown. And the doors have just been opened, which indicates to me that the Lord's hand is on this whole thing. But I really believe that there's going to be something for everyone in Frogtown. And the outreaches, I think, are going to be really diverse in terms of content. So I really think that everyone will be able to get involved in some form. But I'll be giving updates regularly on what we're doing. And our first outreach is this Saturday, as was said in the announcements. So I think we actually already have enough people for this Saturday, but um, we'll definitely need people for future outreaches, and we're also really looking for guys, because right now our leadership team is composed solely of women. Not that that's a bad thing, but <laughs> it would be good to have a couple guys, so yeah, I think I said everything. Thank you. This is very exciting. It's way beyond exciting. Uh, I've had a vision for, uh, in my heart for a long time to plant house churches in the Twin Cities, and and it feels like now uh, it's about to be birthed. And as that one, that'll just be the first of many, 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 many. And so as God allows you to hold on to that vision as well and to carry it and to pray it, to pray it into existence, we want to hear from you if something happens in your neighborhood, if something happens in the church that you're a part of. We want to go alongside of churches, go alongside of individuals. If you lead somebody to the Lord, tell us about it. You might think, well, if I lead somebody to the Lord, I should probably bring him with me to church. Maybe not. Maybe, instead of bringing them to church, say, hey, you probably have non-Christian friends. Would there be a chance that we could meet with them? And you may plant a church. That, doesn't that sound ridiculous? You may, you may end up planting a church out of the people that come to Christ. That's what it means to plant churches. That's what Paul did. Led people to the Lord, and then he found a home, started a church. So I pray, Father, that that vision would rise in our hearts and that what you are doing in the Twin Cities is way beyond what we can see now. It's way beyond. But by faith we believe that you are raising up an army of people, especially an army of young people. We've talked about taking it to the streets. We're going to take it to the homes. We're taking it to homes. We're taking it to neighborhoods. All kinds of neighborhoods, not just Frogtown neighborhood, but suburban house churches. Can you see a hundred of them? Can anybody see a thousand of them? Our influence is not how big we are, but how big we think God is. <clears throat> we we pray.
prayed for Lauren. Was there anyone else that needed prayer for healing that didn't didn't get in on the on prayer for that? Because if because there were others, what do you need? Okay, you feel comfortable having somebody put their hand on your neck? Okay. Naomi, Naomi was praying for Greg. Greg was with us for a few days, and she prayed for Greg, and very tenderly, very beautiful. Put your hand on her neck, honey. We thank you for healing. We thank you for touching us and healing us. We thank you that you love to favor us. You love to touch us where we have needs. Lord, even as we pray for Maddie, we pray for anyone else here, Lord. Let let them see your love, your power, your release. Pray that where there's depression or discouragement, God, as we talk tonight, that you would lift that, that you would encourage us to see who you are and what you have for us. Lord, call us to our destiny in your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Heal, Maggie. Be healed in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Say with me, I am responsible. responsible. Look at the word responsible. What do you see? What word is in that word? Responsible. Okay, somebody said able. I was thinking response, but that was, that's good. Response. So to be responsible is to be responding. We're responding to God, the ultimately responsible one, and we're responsible. When God created the world, listen to what it says. Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image. Let them rule. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it. Rule. Two times, two verses there, God called us to rule. Rule doesn't mean to crush. Rule means to be responsible, to care. God gave... Adam, a garden, and he told him to tend it. And he even played the game, name that beast. And it says whatever he named it, that's what's his name. In other words, God didn't micromanage. God didn't say, you really want to call it an elephant? (laughs) That doesn't look like an elephant. No, whatever Adam called it, that was his name. And I wonder if he studied the character so he had names fitting to who they were. He really took this job seriously. God gave work, as I said last week. God gave work for Adam to do, and he was responsible. Lucifer had done something really crazy. He was responsible. He was the highest angel, but then he did something grossly irresponsible. He tried to make a coup on the throne. God kicked him out of heaven. And since then, he has not done one responsible thing. He is totally irresponsible. And so he goes after the crown of God's creation to try to get them to doubt the goodness of God. And you look at Genesis 3, and you see Adam beginning to wonder, and Eve, is God trying to keep us from something? Is God really kind of insecure? Can I be more knowledgeable? And he did something really, really irresponsible. And it started an epidemic. Sin is ultimate irresponsibility. Every sin is an act of irresponsibility. And when we're irresponsible and we know it, what are some options that sometimes we choose rather than doing the responsible thing about our irresponsibility? What are some things that we we might think to do in our irresponsibility? 
Okay, we could forget, we could avoid, keep them coming. Cover it up. You don't do that, do you? Deny, what was the other one? Drop the ball. Drop the ball. So there's a lot that we can do other than what we're called to do, which is to be responsible about our irresponsibility. And here is Adam, and what does he do? He blames. Who does he blame? You know, you know he blames actually two people. The woman you gave me. Ooh, ladies. Yeah. How irresponsible can you get? But irresponsibility had marked humankind. They have a son named Cain, brother named Abel. And irresponsibility has invaded the planet. The ultimate irresponsible thing to do with another life that you're called to care for, to be your brother's keeper, would be to take him out, right? How tragic a race now infused with irresponsibility, and he kills him. And then when God calls on him, what does he say? Cynically. Is he? Yeah, he really is. Salvation is, is that event that begins a process of becoming responsible again. Sanctification is a process of growing in response ability, learning how to respond properly to God. So I want to look at the areas for which we are responsible. And then with each one of them, pray over those for us so that we could w- walk in responsibility. The word responsibility is close to the word faithfulness. Faithfulness is an end time quality. He that is faithful to the end, he that endures to the end, called to be faithful, called to be responsible. And in areas where you struggle with that, then we'll especially pray and, and believe that God will bring you to responsibility. Why is this so important? It's especially important today because we live in a culture of irresponsibility where we, where we look at our rights as opposed to our responsibilities. We're a society that, that gl- glorifies litigation, suing one another, so we can get whatever we want to out of somebody else. So we're not looking tonight at our rights. We're looking at our response to God, our response ability, our ability to respond appropriately to God. And we're responsible for our thoughts, our attitudes, our words, our actions, our resources, our brothers and sisters, our environment, our body, our space, and our children. We're going to look at those briefly, each one. Calls us to responsibility. First of all, our thoughts. You control your thoughts rather than your thoughts controlling you. Unfortunately, sometimes it's the other way around, isn't it? Our thoughts can begin to control us, and we entertain a thought that comes drifting through like a stray cat and we feel like we're embrace it because it just happens to be a thought we don't need to do that bible calls us to what take captive thoughts to the obedience of christ and how can we do that we are given the mind of christ paul says whatever is noble Whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is uh, gracious, whatever, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy about praise, then what does he say? Think on these things. Can you do that? Yeah, he wouldn't have said it if we couldn't think about it. You can think about those things. So if you're having thoughts, and I know there are some who are having thoughts that depress you, here's my advice. 
have another thought. Now, I'm not trying to simplify it because I know that if you have grown up in an atmosphere where you've been bombarded with shame, you've been bombarded with the law, then it's hard to have another thought, that you, you have been already programmed. And so we want to especially pray for you. If you've been programmed to defeat yourself, if you've been programmed to bash yourself every time you hear a corrective word, then we want to pray that God can heal that. That takes, that takes intervention. It takes healing. But I, I do mean what I said when I said, have another thought. If you have thoughts that are plaguing you, have another one. Think about these things. Think about things that can lift you up rather than pull you down. So I want to just stop right here. I want to pray for our thoughts. We're responsible. You're responsible for the kind of things that you think. We don't have to think those things that pull us down. We don't have to think those things that, that destroy us. But some of us do. And some of you try to erase a thought, saying, no, I'm not going to think that way. I'm not going to think that way. And that's pretty hard. It's easier to replace a thought than it is to erase a thought. And here's what I mean by that. Don't think about this red brick. When I said that, what did you think about? What did you see? Yeah. Even though I said don't, you did because you you just... pictured here because I I brought it to your attention even in a negative way now rather than thinking about this red brick over here picture the cross of Christ here did you picture the cross of Christ immediately because you're not you're not fighting over here you're just replacing it with something better whatsoever things are pure whatsoever things are holy whatsoever things are of good report think on these things replace those thoughts so if you just put your mind on, or put your hand on your forehead, or <clears throat> we're responsible for our thoughts. I pray for anyone here, Father, who's tripping over their thoughts. It's easy for it to happen, God. Thoughts that depress us, or thoughts that pull us away, thoughts that tempt us. Thoughts that shame us. We declare tonight that we have the mind of Christ. That we can think those thoughts that encourages us, that encourage us, that lift us up. Say, I have the mind of Christ. Okay. I think I've showed you how we used to do this when the kids were small, how we put the armor on in the morning. Stand with me, and I'm going to show you how to put the armor on. And uh, this can, this, it's not just putting on the mind, but putting on the whole, if you want to. Do what I do and say what I say. I put on the helmet of salvation to guard my mind. I think the thoughts of Jesus. I put on the breastplate of righteousness. Because I'm righteous in Jesus. I put on the belt of truth. I don't believe any lies. I don't tell any either. I put on the gospel shoes of peace. Because I'm on a mission for Jesus. I take the shield of faith to stop the darts of the enemy. And I take the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and I defeat the devil. She wants us to do the song, because that's what we would do. Onward, Christian soldier.
Christians are marching us to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. You don't make me angry. You don't make me happy. My thoughts. It's, what, it's, it's from the inside out. I live from the inside out. I'm responsible for my thoughts. And so I take thoughts captive. I don't take them in. If they're astray, if, if I have to uh, push them out, I push them out. I say, I won't accept that thought. That's not a thought that I'm going to think. And I push it off. I'm responsible, secondly... For my attitudes. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, it says in Philippians 2.5. God's word judges our inward thoughts and our attitudes, our in, the intentions, the thoughts and intentions of the heart, Hebrews said. How would you rate your attitude? You're responsible for your attitude. Charles Swindoll said, it's 10% what happens to you and 90% what your attitude is about it. Would you agree? Hope you have a good attitude. You're responsible for your outlook, your attitude toward life. Let's just stop. Let's pray that God will transform our attitude. You know, God doesn't like grumbling a bit. It doesn't register on his happy scale at all. (laughs) He's not impressed with grumbling. He's not impressed with complaining. He likes people that go through difficult times and have a great attitude. And he'll come down and shake a prison if, if, if you're going through torment and you decide to sing a few choruses at midnight. He'll come down and join you. He loves to be where people are who have a good attitude in bad times. And I pray for you that you'll be responsible in your attitudes. That in cold weather, in hot weather, in difficult times, when you get a flat tire, when things don't go well for you, that you'll have an attitude that arms you against the enemy taking you down. That you'll be responsible with your attitude. Third, your words. Words matter to God because words have power, right? Life and death in the power of the tongue. That's why the psalmist said, I put a guard over my mouth. If you can put a guard over your mouth and you can watch your words, the Bible says you become a perfect man. That's not bad. I'll take that. Because it says no one can tame the tongue. How about if you do it? How about if you tame your tongue? How about if you're so responsible with the words that you speak that you don't hurt people, you heal people. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That's, tr- that's a lie, right? That's, that's a lie. That's what really does hurt. That's what really does knife people. But you're going to be different. You're going to show responsibility with your words. It's going to be words that are not like sword thrusts, it says in Proverbs, but words that build. You spoke some of those today, Bob. You spoke words that build. And when Brandon came up, he had words that build. We want to hear those words. We want to speak them. And we want to receive them from one another. How many want to be responsible with your words? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Put your hand over your mouth. Mm. Pray for the person next to you. Just pray. Pray for their words.
Mm-hmm. Holy words. Strong words. Powerful words. Anointed words. Kind words. Responsible words. Blessed words. Not words of hatred. Proverbs says there were some words that are so wicked, they're like sword thrusts that take people out. We want words that are gracious and well-seasoned and edifying and comforting and encouraging. Amen. Next, Paul writes that each one should test his own actions. I'm responsible for my deeds. I'm responsible for my actions. The light of God exposes our actions for what they are. The eternal destiny of sheep and goats, it says, is settled in Matthew 25 based on their actions. Actions reflect the heart. So ultimately, it goes back to the heart. But your actions say a lot about you. And you are responsible for your actions. So don't we want to respond in a way that honors God rather than show irresponsibility in how we act? I'm going to pray. I think of the, the uh, parable that Jesus taught about the difference between the, in the storm The, the difference between the storm that doesn't take people out but uh, takes them through and the storm that takes the house down are those that hear the word of God and do it, obey it. And so I pray that your actions will be in response in obedience to the Lord, that he will speak to you and you will do it. As Kevin says, that we not only read the word of God, but the word reads us. The word convicts us. The word changes us because we see the needs in our life. We need to change. We need to glorify actions. I believe the Twin Cities is about to see an an outpour of actions that are going to change whole streets. They're going to change neighborhoods as people are, are coming in love like an army, like an army parading the love of God. And because it's motivated by love, it will be powerful. So I'm responsible for my thoughts, responsible for my attitudes, for my words, my actions. I'm responsible for my resources. I include a lot in that resources. Time is is a gift. I often thank God for the gift of time in my morning devotions. Thank you for time. I got plenty of time today, God. Just want you to know I got time. People say I need a couple more hours a day. No, you don't. Otherwise, God's lost control of the universe. Something's wrong. If he hadn't makes you do something, you don't have time to do it. You got plenty of time. He's given you time. That's a resource. You don't want to squander it. The Bible talks about investing. Because the days are evil. We don't spend time. We invest it. We use it wisely. We redeem the time. In fact, we redeem it. So we, we can redeem time. So it becomes ours to use in God-glorifying God ways. We have other resources. We've got gifts. We don't want to squander. You've got gifts. They're going to be exposed in these days. They're going to be exposed in wonderful ways. We're going to see the gifts of people rise to the surface, things maybe that you didn't know you have, because you're going to step out in faith and obedience to the Lord. You're going to say, yeah, I'm going to go. We don't need any more on that, that block now because that block's covered. Blair, where there's going to be a house church there within a few months, I suspect, after we get to know the neighbors. We're going with love. We're not going with a program. We're not going to uh, blitz the neighborhood. We've decided not to do that. We're, we're rather going to try to get to know them and, and love them, let them know that we care. We're, we're, not, we're not there on a, on a crusade except to hold up the name of Christ and to love them. And as that happens, in a beautiful, natural way, we're going to start meeting, and pretty soon you've got a church on your hands. And that's going to happen. 
where God puts you and, and will connect with you. We got some guys from Bridgewood. I, I, I love the connections we've had with that church. I don't know if you know Morgan and Mark. They're, they're youth guys. Put your hands up for a second. And I kept bumping into Mark, the, the pastor. And I, Mark said, well, I really like you. And I said, I really like you. And we just we connect. And I, I kind of think there's some kind of divine conspiracy. I wouldn't be surprised if we ended up doing some things together. But put your hands on Morgan and Mark. Let's bless their ministry at Bridgeward. What city is it in? Blaine. Blaine. Let's bless them. That's right. Do it. Amen. Let me ask you a question. What do you have that you did not receive? That's a question that Paul asks of the Corinthians. In other words, if you, if you don't have anything that you didn't receive, then it, it's really not yours. You're a steward. You're not an owner. You're not a capitalist. You're a Christian. And you're a steward of what belongs to God. And if someone else needs it, it's theirs, Right? If someone else needs this home, it's theirs. If someone else needs my car, it's theirs. That's the way we need to live in the body of Christ. We are stewards of God's good gifts. And the more you give away, the more you get, the more God piles it on you. If you learn generosity, you're going to be astounded at how generous God is because you're going to pour it out and he's going to pour it in. He'll pour back more than you give out. So, God, you can have our resources because they belong to you. You can have our money because it belongs to you. We want to steward it well. We bless the offering that was taken tonight. We bless offerings in the future. We expect to channel through this ministry multiplied thousands upon thousands simply because people are willing to be conduits rather than reservoirs. That's the way we want to live. We want to live with our words that way. We want to live with our money that way. We're not hoarders. Or givers. I'm responsible for my resources. I'm responsible for my brothers and sisters, right? What, what if we all really are able to take that seriously? I'm responsible for my brother or sister's health, for their welfare, for their encouragement. Then you come not to receive, not with a consumer mentality. What can I get out of this? Or and you have roast pastor when you leave because, well, it wasn't up to snuff. It wasn't, wasn't what it usually is. It wasn't quite as good. It was a little too long, too. That's a consumer outlook. But when you go to overflow onto others of the goodness of God through the week, that's what it says in 1 Corinthians 14. You have a hymn, a lesson, a testimony, a tongue that you're giving out. And it's for edification. We come to build up somebody else. We're edifying other people. My, what a body of Christ. What a strong body that's built up. I'm responsible. I am my brother's keeper. Paul writes, each of you should look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. She does that. She thinks about others all the time. The more we think about others, the more we care about others, the more God's going to touch the areas of need in our life. But if we're consumed with ourselves, with consumed with our own safety, our own satisfaction, our own comfort. You're not going to experience it because you've got a leaky bucket. <laughs> it's not going to get filled. Other people are going to try to fill it. We're going to pray for you. It's not going to work. It's going to last for about 30 minutes and it's going to 
dissolve because you're consumed with yourself. If any man would come after me, let him. Oh, that's interesting. Deny. <laughs> Deny himself. Take up his cross. One thing you do with a cross. What do you do with a cross? You die on it. You don't, it's not jewelry. It's a, it's a, it's a piece of crucifixion. And so Paul says, I die daily. Why? Because he's thinking about other people all the time. He's consumed with other people. So God, give us that outlook here, that kind of love that just looks out for other people all the time. We're thinking about how they're doing. Even when we're hurting, even when we're miserable, even when we've had a bad day, we say, I'm not going to think about myself. I'm responsible for them. I'm responsible for their care. I want to listen to them. I bless my brother and sister. We're responsible for our environment. You know that. I'm not even going to stop there. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Christians ought to be the best at the environment and not contaminating, polluting the air, polluting the earth. We should be better than anybody else. It's not the New Agers that should be most concerned about the environment. It's the people of God. Wait till we get in the new earth and it's really going to be fun. To, to climb and to whatever else we're going to do. But we should be so concerned because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I'm responsible for my body. Call it temple maintenance. We're responsible to, 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 to uh, give it what can help it, to care for our temple. If I die early because of poor stewardship, I'm not fulfilling my destiny, am I? So I want to care for my body. I want to be responsible with what I do. John Paul Jackson, the Lord told him, you'll live to be 120. I believe what he said. And he said, you can either do it, in this word, you can either do it standing up or in bed. And so he said, I'd rather do it on my feet. So he started running five miles a day once it, when he got that. So I think you'll live to be a whole 120. So far, so good at least, huh? So I bless your bodies. I bless your bodies. Holy places. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You carry the presence of the triune God. That's a holy place. People want to find the presence. They could just as well go come and see you because you carry it. That's pretty wonderful. I'm responsible next for my space. God gives us territory. We take responsibility. What's your space? Well, wherever your space is. It might be your car. You're responsible. You're responsible for wherever you live. Getting personal here now. Now people are getting a little edgy. We need to take dominion. Remember we rule? We rule? Now we rule wherever we are. And that mean doesn't mean crush, it means to exercise dominion. Where there's peace. The righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the that's the kingdom of God, where the kingdom reigns. And so pray that the Lord will give you the ability to take dominion over your space. It's godly to do that. It's like God. It's a good thing to take dominion. Karen and I are responsible for our children. So how, how can we become responsible? I'm just going to share a few things about that, and we're going to uh, get into small groups. You, you could take a message like this and it could put you under the law. Okay, I am going to be responsible. There are two ways to live, by law or by faith, through grace. You can either live trying or trusting. You can either live with the merit system or the mercy system. You can trust in the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. You can tr- trust in your merits and try to score points. 
Which one's working for you? doesn't work to try to make it happen. The gospel is that God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. You can go to Mount Sinai where it says, we'll do this, or you can go to Calvary where it says it's been done. It was already finished. And so we can really trust in a responsible God who says, he who has called you is faithful and he will do it. So God can make you faithful in your thoughts. God can make you faithful in your attitudes. He can give you right attitudes. He can give you an outlook that helps you to, to uh, deal responsibly with your body, with your brothers and sisters, with your actions, with your resources. He knows how to do it. I'd encourage you, as you do this, to uh, consider the outlook of a servant you hear the blessing, grace be unto you from God our Father and the So we are children of the Father and servants of the Lord. To the Father we, we say, Daddy. To the Lord we say, Aye, aye, sir. We are his servant. As children... We have all that God gives us. We have an inheritance, and we just sit down at the table. As servants, we have nothing. We have no presumption. And both are true all the time in our life. When Jesus talked about pictures, symbols of life in God, he used children a lot, and he used servants. And Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he said, As servants, after you've done everything, say... We only did what, I, what was our duty. In other words, we don't have any rights. See, it's a wonderful thing when you realize you don't have any rights. Now, as children, you do, but as servants, you have zero. And if you can hold those two in complementary and intention together, it keeps you from an entitlement outlook that says, I deserve more than this. Do you see any entitlement outlook in our, in our culture? It's riveted with it. And a victim mentality, an entitlement outlook says, I deserve more and you get to give it to me. A victim mentality says, I got a bad deal and the world is responsible and you have to help me out because I'm a victim. Not a servant. A servant says, I'm going to keep doing it. And the person that goes low gets what? Grace. And so if you, if you take an outlook of a servant... Here, wherever you are, I just want to help people. I want to clean up after others are gone. And I want to do it without feeling like the man who showed up for every work party and taught every class and even when others didn't want to. And you got the idea he was saying, appreciate me, I'm killing myself for you guys. And there wasn't a lot of joy in his heart, but he was sure working hard. Not talking about that. I'm talking about someone who's just so taken up with the goodness of God that they're willing to serve, that they just love going low and serving. Look around, there are people like that here that have learned the joy of serving. If you want to know what it is to be a leader, see how low you can go. Because Jesus said when he talked about what leadership, the essence of leadership is, it's about going low. Humility. And the lower you go, the more grace you get. What is grace? Power. It's power to be what God wants me to be, power to do what God wants me to do. So if you learn how to go low, you got all the grace to live the way God wants you to live. You're walking toward Jesus. So if you can embrace an outlook of a servant. Somebody asked me, what what do you want most to see in your children? I said, humility. Because if they get this down, they're going to have grace that's going to give them all the power they need. So, let's close with this. If If we're going to be responsible, if we're going to be able to live this way, we need the Father to show us 
to enable us to do it. And as we go low, as Jesus taught us, like I said last week, where would Jesus be now? Well, sooner or later, he'd been in doing the dishes. He'd end up in the kitchen. And, you know, we give Martha a raw deal. And, and it's, not about, it's not about having devotions and not working, Mary and Martha. Not even close. It's a matter of priority and, and uh, positioning. But thank God for Martha. They got that thing resolved. And in the next passage in Luke, she's serving dinner and, and there's real joy. So, Father, we want to we wanna learn to be responsible with how we think. Oh, God, thank you that you've given us the mind of Jesus. We have the mind of Christ. Thank you that you are transforming our attitudes. And the complaining is going and giving way to a, a joyful outlook. Thank you that you're not giving us what we deserve. And we want to serve out of your great kindness to us. We want to go low. We want to pick up papers. We don't want a lofty assignment. We want a lowly assignment. We want to sweep. We want to clean up for people who forget to clean up themselves. And we don't want to expect others to thank us. We'll take it from you. That'll be enough for us. God, we are so excited about what you are doing. And we want to come and become a part of it. In whatever neighborhood you thrust us into. Joyful young adults. I was a part of the Jesus movement in the late 60s and the 70s, and it didn't stick like this one is sticking because it. It lacked intergenerational strength that this one has between younger and older, and that's sticking. And it's creating a power, a blessed power that's going to change the face of a lot of neighborhoods. That's our expectation, God. I bless my brothers and sisters that they walk in a way that reveals a responsible life. Responding to your goodness. Going low.
Open the eyes.